I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra, make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Business. It's been it's been a little while since we've had an episode out there, so this will be it'll be good to get back into the swing of things. Today we're going to talk about real estate, specifically investing in real estate. Again, here with me is Lutz Financial Director Nick Hall. Nick, it's good to have you back on. Thanks um, for having me again, Jack. Yeah, yeah, you bet. The first episode that you did with us was episode number 12, Can I Afford a Home? And it's still our number one listen to podcast, which can I share the info that you have? Yeah, the reason that it is our most listened to podcast is there's a professor at Nebraska that uses that episode for his students and says they can listen to it for extra credit or something like that. So I wish I could say that it was because of that dynamic conversation, yeah. but yeah. students are being forced to. Well, no, that's good to hear. He probably should have vetted us before. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but no, looking forward to uh, talking about real estate today. Awesome. Okay, well, let's just get right into it. I mean, what... I think there's different ways that you can invest in real estate, right? And so, you know, if you could explain maybe, you know, a few of the primary ways that people can technically invest in real estate, how you can go about doing that, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Now let's start, you know, probably one of the, you know, the American dream is to own a home. Right. And, and we've kind of talked about that on the previous podcast. And, and my view on that is, hey, you know, the primary residence probably isn't necessarily an investment per se. And that's um, different. Most people would say it is, right? Yeah. You know, I think I think there's probably different schools of thought on that. I, I think if anything, you know, you've got to live somewhere right there. And we I think we mentioned this, you know, previously. And there's there's certain things that, you know, expenses and things that come up a home that you've got to live in that, hey, versus being a renter and having a landlord that fixes everything, you know, right. people, if you were to go to sell the house, people expect you not to have holes in the siding. Right. They expect you to have a hot water heater that works. I mean, so, and and when I talk to our clients and, and just kind of people in general about that, you know, I don't necessarily view it the primary residence as a, an investment per se. It's, it's an asset for sure. Right. And, you know, the last two or three years in Omaha and other places, real estate you know, home prices have gone kind of through the roof. So yeah. that that's sort of been my, my philosophy has sort of been debunked when you're getting 13, 14% annually over the last few years um, right. on some of these real estate prices. But, you know, if you go back historically, it's probably closer to more inflation type okay. returns on, on housing. And there's there's exceptions to the rule, every every rule. You know, go back to 08 and 09, and there's right. places like Phoenix and Las Vegas and California back in the 60s and 70s that you've gotten better than 2 to 3% type of returns on primary homes. But in general, that's kind of my, my take is that it's not necessarily an investment. So to kind of circle back to your initial question, I mean, I, I think – Today, probably what we'll talk about, there are a couple of things you can invest in real estate wise, probably not including obviously the, the primary residence. One would be, you know, a rental property or a, a residential, another property where you have a second home. And you're seeing this more and more with people that have second homes for things such as, you know, short-term rentals like Airbnb or VRBO. It can be, you know, a, a more of a long-term rental where you have a, a, a family or individuals that are 
you know, they're signing 12 month leases and not, you know, three to four days or you know, a week or two week or little short stays. Another real estate investment, and, and we see this a lot with, with some of our clients, especially, you know, central Nebraska, there's a lot of farm ground or ground in general. So ground is, is another one with the expectation that maybe it's farmable and you can rent that out to somebody to farm it. Or, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it, it's just served as a, hey, it's this is another asset on my balance sheet that kind of doesn't, isn't highly correlated to maybe the 401ks or the, the stock market. Another big one, I think, you know, I'll probably, this is probably the third biggest one that we see most often is commercial property. So, you know, a strip mall or an office building where you're renting it out and it's very similar to like a, like a primary residence, but it's, you know, it's a more mixed use space where you can have, for example, Lutz rents the building from the spine center here. So the spine center, I mean, that's an asset for the the doctors. So they collect rent from Lutz and there's a couple other actually tenants in the building as well. So that's one that we see. So the, the three primary ones that I, that I just mentioned were rentals, whether that be short-term or long-term uh, on the residential side, mm-hmm. ground, and then commercial properties as well. Got it. And then, I mean, even more so or beyond that, then there's the, I mean, real estate specific like stock investment and things like that, right? Which I'm sure, I mean, that's not really as much of the focus of our conversation today, but that's definitely another realm where you can get involved in. Even yeah. maybe just like a fund that maybe they invest in yeah. commercial properties, right? Yeah, no, for sure. There's there's what's called real estate investment. Some of those are private placements where, you know, it's a smaller group of people versus that have, you know, it, it can be 12 to 50 to 100 investors in, in a, that pooled money that go out and buy things like, commercial property or commercial office buildings or things, you know, various, they have kind of a portfolio of different, you know, real estate investments. You can be invested in one of those. There are publicly traded, you know, stocks or ETFs that invest in REITs for that reason. You get a lot more diversification at a pretty low cost. You know, Vanguard, for example, has a, a real estate investment index fund. Got it. You know, I think for the Let's Forum, you know, that has an option for a REIT investment. And that kind of, and, and when we talk with our clients and just in general, I think one of the big things that that real estate provides, and I, I briefly alluded to this earlier, is it's just, it's a diversification part okay. of the balance sheet. You know, your residential property or your office building or the farm grounds, probably not going to be very correlated or not at least highly correlated to the market itself right. and and sometimes it's directional okay. meaning that hey the market 08 and 09 the market was down real estate prices backed up so it's not to say that that it's a risk-free investment by any means i mean it's certainly not risk-free there's there's risk associated with property values going down you know interest rates going up things like that so it's not i i would kind of equate it though more towards you know, it's probably not as aggressive as, you know, high risk equities or mm-hmm. small co- companies or international emerging market companies, but it's certainly safer probably than those, but it's probably not as, it's not as safe as a treasury for sure. Right. Um, right. So, I mean, would you say, you know, if someone was interested in, in just in real estate in general, right. And some of the different, obviously we have those four different ways and I'm sure there's many more ways in some sense, but you know, getting it, you know, investing in a fund or a REIT or, you know, stocks that are directly correlated to the real estate 
industry would be probably the quickest and easiest way to technically invest in real estate, right? But I'm sure, would you say that would be maybe a good place to start to kind of understand the economy of, of real estate? You know, from a diversification standpoint, definitely. You know, in a, in a real estate index, you know, there's hundreds of different companies, properties that, right. I mean, that, I mean, so you, you're, you don't have just one, if you have a secondary home, it's one residence. Right. Um, you have the risk of, God, we just had a tornado warning last night. I mean, it, it, that's that's a one constant, it's a concentrated position or <laughs> yeah. asset that has one location, right? So it, it is different though. There, the mechanics of having a, a rental property or a commercial building or land are sure. um, a little bit different than just getting the direct you know, property exposure through an ETF or a mutual fund. And I think one of the things that you had asked about or that you that you had on this list was, you know, what are the benefits? We talked about it, diversification is a big one. One, another benefit would be current tax year. You know, any asset that's you know, not a primary residence, for example, like if it's, it's if you're renting it out via VRBO or Airbnb or it's a longer term rental or in the case of an office building where you're renting it out to another company or multiple companies, you can depreciate that asset. So you can you can offset any potential rent income via depreciation. Got it. So there's a schedule. If you have any, <laughs> these CPAs here could kind of fill yeah, you in. Right. But that <laughs> high level, you can depreciate, and and that will help offset some of the income that you're showing. So right. there's a tax benefit to it in the in the short term. Sure. One thing to know, kind of long term, and, and this is where primary residence is great. In that, hey, if you own, if you have a primary <laughs> residence, if you owned it for two out of the last five years you can avoid capital gains taxes there's an exemption for you know a single filer gets $250,000 exemption a married couple gets a $500,000 exemption got it not the case with a rental property or, a, or or you know a commercial building if it wasn't a primary residence you would potentially be subject to capital gains taxes mm-hmm. and then there's that great you know hey oh by the way you depreciated this building for the last 10 years you have it was called depreciation recapture, okay. which actually comes back to as ordinary income. So got it. So you're appreciating the short term. You know, I'll give you an example. You had a million dollar office building mm-hmm. and you depreciated it a hundred thousand dollars over ten years. And these are made up numbers. You know, you depreciated, let's say ten ten thousand a year over that time. You go to sell it and let's say now you bought it for a million dollars ten years ago. Now it's two million dollars. So you have potentially have a capital gain. So you have a million dollar capital gain. Mm-hmm. But then You've taken that hundred thousand of depreciation. You have to pay the capital gains taxes, but then the depreciation comes back to you as ordinary income. So ordinary income, generally, you know, it's going to be higher rates than capital gains rates. So yeah, right. it's something to keep in mind. It, 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 there are current year tax benefits of being able to depreciate. Same thing with land. I mean, you have there are certain depreciation schedules for certain different types of assets, but you have to, you get a current year benefit by being able to depreciate it, but know that that potentially can come back to you on the back end. Right. In the form of that depreciation recapture. Capture. Yep. Interesting. So yeah, let's talk about the, you know, the rental model a little bit like Airbnb, VRBO, that kind of stuff, because you see on TikTok or wherever all these people, they're like, yeah, I just, uh, I'm a millionaire and I just jumped into the Airbnb thing. Right. I mean, what are some of the things that you got to keep in mind from a maybe from a liability perspective or, I mean, that's a huge one though. You went into tax implications and, you know, things to keep in mind, but anything else that you could think of where it's like, Hey, 
get your stuff straight before doing this because X or yeah. you know, any thoughts there? No, that's a good point. Especially these short-term rentals. I mean, you can vet people as much as you want. You can say, hey, it's not meant for a big group of people or a frat a, house a, a or party something. or yeah, a right. bachelor <laughs> party or you name it. You know, the VRBOs and the Airbnbs of the world, they do have liability coverage in their contracts. So they take some of the risk off there. But generally, as a great question, I would recommend, you know, putting a a rental property, either short or long term, in a separate, getting that basically outside of your name, putting it in something like a separate LLC Got it. where you're running. And the other benefits of doing that, I mean, you can, any expenses that you have from the rental, whether that be cleaning, new furniture, remodels, if you run that through the LLC, you can help offset some of the income that you have. You can basically deduct some of those expenses. So it's it's almost like it's separate and it really is a separate entity. Got it. So like Jack's real estate LLC, or right. I'm just making stuff up, but here. But if you had a rental property, it would probably make sense for, for not only to help you know from a tax standpoint and be able to deduct some of those expenses, but also getting it off your own balance sheet. So right. hey, you know the, there's going to be hundreds of people staying in this property. I don't want that to potentially come back on me. There's there's potential there's liability protection if it's in the LLC and not and not your own. But and the other thing too is I mean on the on the insurance side you want it you want the home insured obviously homeowners insurance or a commercial property you want a, a building insurance. But then the umbrella coverage is is big having mm-hmm. a personal liability coverage. God forbid somebody let's say it's a house and somebody slips on the ice during the winter outside the home and then they can't go work and they have a long-term disability well that's not something that's necessarily covered under the home or it's not so that helps protect against a potential claim right and and protect your personal assets from the claim so kind of separating that from your own your your own assets is is key right yeah i mean that seems i i just remember growing up the you know the constant thing was, ah, oh, we don't want a trampoline because of the liability. Yeah. I mean, you got, if you got 20 rental properties, you got 20 trampolines in your backyard. Yeah, right? yeah no, there's, and it could be, it gets more complex and that's why we're having, and sometimes, you know, depending on like, let's say somebody has a portfolio of real estate where there's residential and then there's, there's commercial, there's a couple office buildings and things, they could have separate LLCs. And, and the, t- I would tell you these guys, the, the tax guys here and the, the tax guys and gals, they would tell you, you know, hey, it probably makes sense to assign this property or get it out of your personal, you know, if it was a primary residence, make it and transfer the ownership into the LLC. There again, if, as long as it was a personal residence, if you go to have a, if you, let's say it's your first home, and instead of selling the home, you you go to get another home and you keep the other one as a rental. You know, oftentimes we see where they transfer transfer the ownership or, or basically assign the property into the LLC. That allows you to start depreciating. As long as it was, a, if you go to sell it in two years, it was a primary residence for two out of the last five. Mm-hmm. You you can avoid the the capital okay. gain taxes, even though now it's actually in the LLC and not on your personal. Does that make sense? Yeah. So essentially the benefit of it being a primary residence for living in it for two years transfers to benefit the LLC. Yeah. You know, yeah. Right? And you, you see that oftentimes with people that have this, they, they, they move right. uh, air quotes every two years if they're going to think about selling it to kind of avoid the capital gains. Right. There's a couple other, you know, there's there's a couple loopholes with respect to the tax side of things. So yeah. There's what's called 1031 exchange, which... 
really what that's doing. And I'll take farm ground, for example. You see it often with farm ground or just land mm-hmm. or a commercial building where you go, let's take our $1 million example where you had a million dollars and it appreciated to $2 million. If you, theoretically, if you find or you identify another property within a 45-day window and then close on that property within 180 days, you can actually defer that capital gain on, so it's called a 1031 exchange. Got Basically, it. it's a like it's a like kind exchange. Got it. Where you're, let's say you went from a land to a, a commercial property or vice versa. There are limits on how much you can, you can exchange and that, Law has kind of been under scrutiny and, you know, last year with the Build Back Better Act, it was under, it was kind of on the chopping block that never came to fruition. Got it. So I, I would, you know, I'm not a tax expert by any means, but I would, you know, I would, if you have questions about 1031 and trying to defer the gain, I would certainly recommend consulting, you know, this, your CPA. Um, right. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure that (laughs) that's maybe the, you know, instead of cluing in on these little pieces of of information, get a CPA is the number one. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no. And and the other thing, too, is it not doesn't just because you're deferring the taxes doesn't necessarily mean it's you're going to end up ahead. Mm -hmm. Capital gains rates could go up. Let's say you deferred the gain and three years from now. You know, we're right now we're his the gains are pretty they're pretty low rates if you look historically. If they you know, capital gains rates doubled in three years. Well, we deferred the gain in twenty twenty two and now we're hissing here in twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six and gains are higher. It's not necessarily got it. It doesn't necessarily you don't necessarily come out ahead all the right. time if it so that's an unknown, you know, what are what are future rates gonna be. But generally if you can defer taxes for a longer period of time, it's better, but that doesn't mean that rates aren't higher in the future when you go got out. it. Yeah. That makes plenty of sense. Okay, so you're okay, yeah, because then you can do more with the cash you have on hand now instead of paying taxes. Yeah, got yep. it. and that's that's as long as you do something with that. No, money, that's right? exactly. I mean, the four hundred one. Think about a four hundred one k. Yeah, same, same thing. thing. You know, yep. if you defer you, you defer taxes in the four hundred one k for thirty five or forty years, generally that's a good thing. You've I mean you've you've had the ability instead of paying that money taxes, dividends and interest or capital gains, you have the ability to do other things with that tax liability. Right. And so, yeah, the tax deferral is is a good thing usually. So that's why you see a lot of people, those are those are those have been popular for people that have real estate to do a 1031 exchange. You know, it's the, the idea is great. The actual, when it, when it gets into practice, it can become kind of difficult because you have to identify a property pretty dang soon, right? a 45 day window. And then you have to have closed on the property within 180 days. It's, they don't give you a lot of time mm-hmm. in between there. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the thought process behind, you know, a 401k when you're young is to pay the taxes now so that you don't have to pay the taxes later at a larger or an increased rate, or, yep. you know, because of inflation, it'll, It'll cause you to pay more then, but I mean, in this case, you know, deferring those taxes allows you to be liquid so that yeah. you can make further investments and benefit from those. That's if you do that though. I'm thinking of, you know, someone that's in their twenties, that concept, you know, a couple hundred bucks you save, what? <laughs> I'm not going to put that anywhere, but I mean, yeah. I see uh, when we're talking millions of dollars, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think, I think another thing within real estate and generally if you can borrow for less than 
you can get return on mm-hmm. the rest of your portfolio. That's a good thing. Right. That's you know, primary residence, you know, even rates right now, if you go back when we did the original the podcast, can I afford a home? I think rates were probably under four at that time. And they, and that was, I think, 2019. Mm-hmm. They really bottomed out in, during 2020 where we were talking about, hey, we're already refinancing homes and we haven't had it for a year. Rates were kind of rock bottom low there for a while. Now, if we look here at what's happened over the last 12 to 18 months, rates have shot up. You're probably looking at somewhere probably in the mid fours for a 30 year, depending on credit history and credit score and and things. But that's still historically a good rate. And that's a fixed rate if you're getting a fixed rate loan, which we is kind of what we recommend today. We should be able to do better in a 401k or things over a long period of time than a, than mm-hmm. a 3 or 4% rate. So leverage in, in that sense is good. Where I see some people get into trouble is, <clears throat> hey, we kind of get over our skis and we have a bunch of rental property. You saw this with COVID, with yeah. Airbnb. It's like, hey, we've we're, we're really levered up, meaning we've got a lot of debt and that, that ratio isn't very good relative to our balance. Didn't Zillow buy a bunch of stuff, right? And yeah, that's so, exactly what they dealt with. Yeah. So there, I mean, sometimes leverage is good when right. it's when it, when it it's kept under control, but it can be bad and it can work against you. I mean, that's what allows, you know, leverage when it's used properly. I mean, it can increase your net worth because, hey, you're getting a higher rate of return than what you're borrowing for, right? Right. I mean, but at the same time, if nobody's staying in these Airbnbs and you're and you're counting on the rental income or the you know you have an office building and you're counting on that to be completely full and it gets vacant and people go out of business, your tenants go out of business, then that and you can have an issue. Yeah, right. Right. Because yeah, you're over leveraged and now the the your your payments are your are still the yeah, bank's still expecting yeah the yeah. bank's still expecting to make those payments so <laughs> that's where you can kind of get into trouble so I yeah. would caution it goes back to anything risk and return related yeah and the more leverage you are the more risk there is associated totally. with that yeah so I mean not not to put you on the spot or ask you to look into a crystal ball but I mean what about right now at this time with you know the prices of houses being so ridiculous how you know. A, do you have any inkling if that, you know, is here to stay? B, you know, is now a good time? If yes, why? If not, why? So I'm going to ask you to look into a crystal ball and, and provide an answer to this. What I, <laughs> I would say, you know, given inflation is closer to what I think we just saw a lot, the announcement yesterday was Real eight, quick, eight and a half. This is not official investment investment advice. Yeah. I think we need to say. I, you know, I think inflation, they just said it was eight and a half percent in March. Right. Um, they just came out with that number yesterday. I, I really? think historically, you know, what we plan for with our clients is closer to 3%. Okay. You remember I talked about, hey, in Omaha, you know, if we go back over a long period of time, you know, 40, 50 years, 2 to 3% has kind of been the norm for primary residence. Right. I, and we're going back to, hey, are we talking about primary residence? Or are we talking about other, you know, residential rental properties? I don't think it's... There's, I, I don't see it continuing at this, you know, 13, 14, 15% clip like you've seen the last couple of years. I just don't, that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, wages, something would have to get, you know, wages would have to dramatically increase. As you mentioned way early on, I mean, typically it's just been kind of an, infl- you know, correlated to inflation. That's what the, the increase has been, you know, year over year. Typically is just follows inflation pretty yeah. closely. Yeah, I mean, with with residential, yeah, um, and commercial, that can be a different. Well, farm ground, same thing could be. That's <clears> more kind of inflationary type returns. Got it. So I don't, I don't foresee it 
continuing like it has. There's and and one thing, one catalyst. I think part of it, it's kind of been a perfect storm. There's been no inventory. None. Right. And that's you know, hey, we talked about this. I think before is there's a decent house that's on the market. You know, you should have a pre-approval letter because there's likely you should be ready to act because there's likely going to be several offers could be dozens of offers on the same property within a you know 12, 24 to 48 hour period so i think that's been a product of that you know rock bottom interest rates has been another thing people can afford more when rates are lower yeah your payment is significantly different on a two and a half percent 30-year mortgage on a three hundred thousand dollar home and than a four four and a half percent that's exactly right so that that's made Properties more affordable. Rates, like I said, they've ticked up quite a bit here the last 12 to 18 months. I, I think as interest rates, if they continue to rise or they, you know, they or they stay kind of where they're at, that will help slow this down. I think you've seen a huge surge in home and building as well. Mm-hmm. I, I guess where where I'm going with this this kind of a long-winded answer is, as there's more supply, I think that will help kind of lower the trajectory, but. And I, I see this all the time. People ask this question because, hey, do we think it's like an 07, 08 type of scenario where real estate, Omaha didn't get hit as bad because there weren't as many people over leveraged like Phoenix and you know these, some of these touristy, sure. California, Vegas, they got decimated, right. Florida even too. That was the problem. If you, if you ever watched the big short, I mean, that was yeah. a problem. There were bad lending practices back then. Right. They completely changed how that works anymore in terms of you have to, and you may have seen this if you if you're looking at it, but it's like they, they pretty much want to see everything on you when you're going to get a mortgage or you're getting a loan from the bank on a, re, a commercial property or something like that. Right. Commercial is probably not as stringent as a residential, but same thing. They're they want to see a lot of information on you because their their lending practices are much more stringent. Right. So what I've seen. People are putting more down now than they than they were back in 05, 06, 07. I don't know that this necessarily is going to be a, a bubble right. in real estate <clears> because <throat> they're not taking as much risk. The banks aren't taking as much risk, and the people are they're they're requiring individuals to be more financially stable to get mm-hmm. some of these loans. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no playbook for COVID. I mean, when the you know the economy shuts down for six months, there's right. no, there's really not a playbook for that. But well, yeah, there's just I mean the implications of that downstream of going back to inventory yeah yeah and i think i think you know i think you'll see that more so with this whole work from home movement and the commercial and residential there could be a basically a dichotomy there where it's you could i i think you're certainly seeing it. i mean there there hasn't been anybody in the building across the street for but then i months. talk to people and they're all moving offices yeah. right i don't know if they're downsizing offices or I, what but I, it's kind of almost what, a shuffle yeah right? i you know it definitely is i but i i i think that there are a lot of places and companies are determining hey maybe we don't need the amount of space or right. in-person space or footprint that we thought we did 24, 36 months ago. So I think that could be kind of a big change. I think, you know, from a, from a commercial side of things, you know, this, you, you don't need this. You're not, you don't have this many in-person diners on a restaurant, for example, on a strip mall. You don't need as big of a space, right? You mm-hmm. can probably operate out of a kitchen and you're doing mostly takeout. I mean, it's the same thing. It's kind of a trickle down effect. Yeah. So I, I think you could see that that's going to be an interesting space, especially as this. I don't work from home isn't going anywhere. Right. Uh, it's if anything, it's kind of the new norm, and and it's just what does this look like in five ten? Do you like working from home? 
I don't. Well, I, I, I'm personally, I've got a three-year-old and 18-month-old, so <laughs> I go to work to get stuff done. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I joke with my clients, like, work's my sanctuary. Uh, yeah. I can't get anything done at home. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that do, and you know, they, yeah. they'll at least have the option. So I, I think... It sounds like everything you're saying is very similar in, in, in investment philosophy as, you know, invest early and often and have patience. Yeah. Right? As opposed to trying to jump in, is the market right? Is the market not right? It's like, we don't know. No. And it's hard right? to, it's hard to predict. Right. I mean, especially like you said, I have a crystal ball, but I would, going back to your initial question, make sure that, hey, it works within your financial situation. Right. I wouldn't be as worried about these extraneous factors, whether, hey, what's the market doing? What are rates doing? You've got to, I mean, it, it does impact, you know, what you can afford or, but at the same time, I think it would, you have to look at your personal situation and your totally. financial situation and determine that first and versus, versus kind of some things that you can't control. It's the same thing as sitting down and being like, okay, where's my debt at? Do I need to take care of debt before yeah. I jump into the stock market or whatever, yeah. right? It's like only do what you can do. Yeah. And there's certain things you can control. You can't control some mm-hmm. of these other things, right? So I don't, to, to go back as you know, if, if 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 it's right for you now, I don't think it's a bad time. Mm-hmm. Right? If you have if you have all your ducks in a row and you yep. you know you've paid mm-hmm. off debt and we talked about you know some of the prioritization of savings, especially for young people getting out, it's like hey, pay off your don't carry any high interest debt. Yep. Good debt is you know home fixed thirty year mortgage. That's good debt, but student make sure loans you're, yeah, make sure yeah that that's that'd be one that I attack the student loans because those can be high interest. Make sure you're saving in the 401k to get the match, putting some away. Make sure you have an emergency fund. I mean, there's all these other things that I would probably look at before. We talked about even primary residence or certainly primary residence would come before rental home type properties. And, you know, for millennials or young professionals, one way to potentially afford a property is to, you know, you see, you're seeing this a lot, especially with kind of Omaha is still, I would say, pretty affordable, especially when you compare it to other major cities. Yeah. But I, I think you're seeing, you can share the cost if you were to purchase a property. You might have to have somebody co-sign, but you could have uh, you could have basically roommates where you're, you know, other people are helping you pay some of that now that totally. there's risk and your, one of your roommates moves, takes a job in Denver, one gets married, or you, so you'd have to, you probably want to be able to fill that if you're, not planning on if you don't have a spouse or you're not planning on or you're planning on staying in the same property right because but that does that's a great way of helping making that maybe more affordable is kind of sharing the cost totally i have quite a few friends that are in that situation right where they're looking but you know just getting out of the situation where we have roommates or had roommates and so i mean i'm on the path of you know getting a house and getting married and doing that whole thing so that'll be nice to share that burden on that front but no, all, all really, really good stuff. Anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? I don't have anything. I probably did too much talking. No, <laughs> not at all. I think it was great. I, I think it, it's crazy to me, though, having these conversations. Consistently, the common theme is, hey, there's about five or six priorities that you should take care of before you even get into most of these topics. Yeah. Right? And if you don't have those things taken care of, you're going to get into a situation where you can't take on the risk of, you know, the AC unit dying or a roommate moving out or whatever. So make sure that you're comfortable and feel good about it before jumping into it is what, I mean, and to your point, do it 
when you can do it. If you can do it now, do it now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and now and it goes back to with the same thing with the market. It's like know what you own, right? Don't dive in just to dive in because you see other people doing it. I mean you gotta understand hey, all the implications of, you know, the decision that you're about to make, right? Totally. Totally. Awesome. Well thanks again. I wonder if this will be the number two podcast. Who knows? But yeah, no, no, thank you. Yeah. That was good. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.